Good morning, everybody. Normally, um, as a uh, communicator, speaker, whatever you want to call me type of person, uh, you're, you kind of walk out and you want to set a tone for everybody, you know, you just come out. So I was thinking about, well, how do I salute you guys in the morning? How do we start this thing off? So I came up with, uh, good morning, amazing people of Crosstown. Yeah. And then I decided not to do that. Uh, because it's not the best thing I can say to you. Uh, and not only that, some of you are like me. You're not too amazing. And you know it. Okay? Here is the best thing I can say to you. Good morning, beloved of God the Father. And if you were striving for amazing, you were shooting way too short. Because being beloved of the Father is the best place on earth you could possibly be. So welcome today to Crosstown. And I, you know, we just came out of a week of prayer um, because I, I love it, the cross looks shredded. I mean, it's just like ripped. Um, and those are all your prayer requests that we got over the last week. We had a week of prayer. We met every night here and we prayed for you. And we laid on your lives that aren't so amazing and the things that you're challenged with we prayed and laid hands on, and we brought them to our amazing Heavenly Father. And we wanted you to see that you're beloved of God, and that he knows you, and that he loves you. And there's no better place on earth to possibly be. So next week, we're going to be starting a new series called Lit. And it's going to be talking about, this, about bringing Jesus home, because that is the hardest place to live, Jesus. I mean, on Sunday morning, we can kind of pull it off, but at home with the kids, home with the spouse, it's really difficult and it's hard to pull off. And so we're going to be talking about it at home. Now, the word lit is, is, it means liturgy. That's how we're playing on the word. We're looking at, there's a, a book called Habits of the Household, which if you want to jump ahead of me, you can read the book. It's a phenomenal book. But we're talking about liturgy at home. And liturgy is just a fancy church word on how you in public life, outside of your soul, manifest the living of your faith. And so what we're going to discover that there's a liturgy on how you should wake up, um, how you should talk to your kids in the morning, how you, uh, how you do dinner, how you do um, your job, how you, all these, uh, the, the, the ride to school, that there is a liturgy. Instead of just letting things happen by chance, that there are ways that you can express the life and the light of Christ into your family through, um, through liturgy, weaving it and creating it in your life. But this series that we've been going through, The, the Chosen Summer, has been one of my all-time favorites. I, I mean, personally, it, it's, it's like I'm, a, I'm sad it's ending. Um, it's helped me revitalize my faith it, uh, in the sense of, no, not revitalize, revisualize my faith. It's helped me see things, you know, and see it in a light that's, that's you know, I, I read it from the scriptures. It's never truer than it is in the scriptures, but sometimes you just have to see it and visualize it um, in a way. I rediscovered who I am, uh, that I am known by God, that I'm beloved by God, and that's powerful. You get that right, all of a sudden your life can begin to change. So the TV series, The Chosen, is continuing to go on. And they hadn't gotten to the point of Jesus dying on the cross or rising. And so next summer, we will continue with The Chosen and have another Chosen Summer. And we'll continue with 
this series. Um, but for us today, we're going to be ending this series today, and I think it's a perfect finish to it. We're going to encounter Jesus and his disciples in a whirlwind day. And I know you have one of those and often have those days. And literally, we're going to experience that with the disciples and Jesus today. So um, one of the things that I've noticed from the scriptures and also from the series is that Jesus seems to constantly be pressing us and his disciples into moments to allow faith, uh, an, an awareness of him, a trust in him to grow. A lot of us come to Christianity because we want to get out of a situation. We want God to take the pressure off so that we can just kind of relax and chill out. Thank you, God. I got it from here. But everything I see in scriptures is like God just constantly presses. And, you know, and you, you know, um, like I, I've been feeling good lately, you know, my back's been feeling good and I've been feeling good and feeling a little froggy and, you know, doing a little workout. And it's like, wow, that's great. See, faith has brought me to this place where now I feel good. And now what I really know about it, it's like, no, God is now, and we're going to see today that God has prepared you for your next moment. Because what God's really after is not fixing the world, but increasing in you a trust and a love for him that knows no limitation. And so this is exactly what we're going to see happen here. Jesus has just finished preaching and feeding a large crowd. He dismisses the crowd. It's really interesting in, in all the accounts, he, Jesus kind of like takes charge of the, the flow of the service. He, so he kind of was like, okay guys, now here's what I wanna do. I want you guys to get in a boat, go right now, get in the boat. So, and then he says, I'll take care of the crowd and I'll dismiss them. And it's like, what's he doing? That's just kind of odd. But it's because Jesus is pressing them into their next moment. And he's preparing this next moment. And we're going to see, as they're traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a boat, that things get a little gnarly. Let's watch Go! 
go! Faster! Let's go! Nobody move! Simon, what? I said everybody stop! Stop, stop, stop! Hey, stop! Nobody move! That's not a ghost! Are you crazy?
Father, we thank you so much. That God, that we don't have to be amazing. That the best thing that we can have today is to be in your arms and to know that you will never, ever let us go. So, Father, we just ask that today that you would open the eyes of our heart to see what manner of love that you have loved us with, and that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that was beautiful. And you know, over the series, I've kind of told you, well, this scene I'm about to show you, I'm not sure that's really in the Bible, you know, and I kind of ratted it out a little bit. It's like, I don't think, I don't know if it actually went that way, but you know, there is no reason for you to have imagined this story any other way than it was represented. Um, there's a small little thing we'll correct at the end, but um, it pretty much, this is probably what it looked like. This is the visualization of, of this, all the stories that were told out of all the different gospels and the power of this moment. And there are these little moments in every part that I think you probably identified with as you were watching it. I just want to look at a couple of those moments that they've spoken to me and maybe they speak to you that um, just let you know that, that God's got you. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Okay? If you're looking for a Christianity that avoids hard times, it didn't come from the Bible. Um, if you think that God just wants to fix your life, make you pretty, and wealthy and give you a great retirement and that's it, that's, that's not what he's after. He's after doing something greater in you. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. In another version of this story, in one of the other Gospels, it, re it says it this way. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. First of all, I'm just amazed that Jesus comes to them. I mean, that just speaks volumes at what Jesus wants to do in every one of our lives whenever we experience difficulty. But it says that he saw them straining at the oars. I don't know how he did this because I don't know what the distance was in the middle of a storm. And so I don't know if he's got these super bionic eyes, you know, that he can see or he was using superpowers or he was just probably with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit was very much aware. But the bottom line that we're told this is that he saw them. And that gives me such hope that no matter what storm of life that I am in, that 
even though I may not see him, he is seeing me no matter where I'm at. But it says that they were straining at the oars. Have you ever been there? I mean, we look for life that's smooth sailing. We, we kind of like, we'll have this theological mythology in us that, well, if, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. It won't be hard. Because if it's God, everything will work out. You won't have to strain. Perfect faith will, will make it so that, you know, you'll never get sick. You'll never need money. You'll never, you'll just be perfect. If you have perfect faith, you'll avoid all the storms of life. Well, there is nobody with perfect faith. So let's just take that off the, off the table. Jesus told them to get into that boat. Jesus immediately sent them and then departed from them knowing that they were going to get into this storm because there was something greater to be performed in them than just fixing your life and making easy sailing. But a lot of us, we strain at the oars. I strain at the oars in my head, you know? I'm just always like, man, you know, just constantly, dude, being me is exhausting. Um, maybe you're, you're a single mom. I mean, and nobody knows like you do. I mean, you got to get the kids up. You don't have a, a partner. You're, you're getting the kids up. You're getting them to school. You're picking them up from school. You're working two jobs, and you're just constantly straining at the oars. You know, other people are just flying right by you, but you're straining at the oars trying to make things happen. Maybe you work for a harsh boss where, you know, other people got a great work environment and, and it's like really cool working at this place. But, but in your place, man, every single day is hard. Maybe trying to feel better, trying to just have a normal day is like straining at the oars. A budget of trying to make things work. You know, you may be a young couple or, or maybe a senior here, and it's like before you used to be able to go out to dinner whenever you wanted with your friends, and now you're just trying to, it's like Social Security, I get this check divided by how many days, divided by this, the payment on the house by this, it's like, it's like, okay, it's saltines this week, you know, and that's the way that life seems to go, and you're straining at the oars. Or maybe you're in a place in your marriage where, you're, you're, you're there and it's hard and it's difficult just to keep married. Um, but Jesus saw them. I also think it's interesting that the scriptures felt it necessary to tell us what time of day it was. The fourth watch of the day is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I thought that was interesting, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. because it's like deep, deep, deep in the shag of the night. You know, but between three and six is where I have most of my problems. I don't know if it's an age thing, but I'm awake every night at 3.30. I mean, so much so that M. Night Shyamalan and every other horror story, every time that the aliens attack or the demons attack, all of a sudden you'll see the clock go three o'clock and then all of a sudden, and something happens. Well, I don't think that's happening to me. Um, but what I do know, it's usually about three or four o'clock, I'm wide awake, and all the straining of the day comes to me. All the difficulties about what I gotta do at work, 
how am I going to retire? How am I going to you know, fix this part of my life? How am I going to get so-and-so to do something? I'm replaying all the things that are going on in my life that are hard. And, and, and the thing is, is you're all by yourself. You're, you're all by yourself. I mean, and for, for some of you, it's, uh, it's at three o'clock or four o'clock where you wake up and you reach to find the hands of the person that, you, that you've grown old with and they're not there. And that moment, maybe um, like me, Susan's still there and I'm still there for Susan, but at, at about 3.30, I'll reach over and I'll touch her and I'll, I'll kind of like um, start rubbing her hand. Are you awake? <laughs> and, she, and so I'll rub a little more. And, uh, and she'll be like, I'm awake now. <laughs> and so I recall to her, well, you said you wanted to talk. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I'm ready now. A little chatterbug, I'll talk now. And, and it's like, because why? In the middle of the fourth watch of the night, when all those difficulties of life, the straining of life is on you, it's like, oh my God, I am alone. And Jesus is communicating here, I see you in the fourth watch of your night. I see you straining at the oars. And I come to you. I will come to you. So now, what sounded like a joke in the, in the beginning when I said about being amazing is because right about three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, I remember how unamazing I really am. You say, well, what a terrible self-image. Oh, no, no, no. How about just the stock reality of humanity? And if, it, if we were left to ourselves, I would do everything to be more amazing than you. But I was given something else to strive and to experience is to know his presence. Because that's the only thing that will make a difference at four o'clock in the middle of the morning while you're straining at the oars, while you're loading your children up into your minivan all by yourself every single day, while you're getting, you know, going home and you're being judged by the other parents because you give your kids one of those little snack packs that have that uh, nitrated meat in it and that cheese from China and the crackers that are stale, and all the other holistic parents are looking at Luke. I can't believe you feed your child that. It's because every single day I am straining at the oars, trying to make ends meet. They're lucky they're getting a snack, as hard as I have to work. I'm just here to tell you, God sees you. When the disciples saw him working, him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. They said it was a ghost. They're just running through it, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And, and we all have momentary uh, kind of lapses of reason when we're trying to figure out what's happening to me, what's going on, trying to label things and understand things. And they totally, totally mislabel this. It says that they cried out in fear. And I looked at that original word, cried out, because um, amazing people don't cry out, all right? Amazing people are composed. Amazing people are ready for every situation. You know, uh, Men don't cry out like little children. 
But the Greek language here says they were shrilling in this moment. You know, they were just, they were crying out. And it says, and Jesus immediately speaks calm to them. Now listen to what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, he doesn't stand there like, all right, you bunch of pansies. You know, you need to knock it up. Listen to yourselves. Do you hear yourselves? It's like, you bunch of men. I mean, come on, guys. Look at, listen to you. You should be better than this. You're amazing. You should be better than this. No, he doesn't say that. You know, I can, I can imagine hearing, you know, in my generation, it's like there was this idea of what a man is, and, and some of it was right, some of it was wrong, and, but one of the ideas was that real men don't cry. That's bullcrap. You know, real men can be able to face, I think this is a boat full of real men. But they came to the place where they're like, I can't handle this. I like what also Jesus doesn't say. Because we'd say, well, the next thing is like, okay, so we can kind of take that macho thing and shove that over there, no problem. But the next thing he's going to say to them is, uh, be courageous. Be courageous. Come on, guys. Be courageous. You know you got courage in you. Be courageous. He doesn't even say that to them. Say, well, but Christians should be courageous. Christians should be amazing. No. He says, take courage. That means he's offering it to them. And he says, take courage, but here's why. He says, take courage because it is I. Not be courageous because you're courageous, because you're a real man and you're a real woman and you're a person of faith and all. He's like, no, here, you're going to need this. What is that, Jesus? It's courage. And Take courage because it's me, not because you're amazing, but because he's like, I'm amazing. And you can take courage in me. See, it's like Jesus is in the middle of take courage and do not fear. There's an I in the middle of it. So it's kind of like this little, little equation. It's like take courage, do not be afraid. And, and, and you could take that and lift it out Take courage and do not be afraid and, and be reading any popular psycho, uh, psychology book about succeeding in life. I mean, it sounds like a title of a book. Take Courage and Don't Be Afraid by, G, by John Maxwell or Tony Robbins or Peter Drucker or some other schmuck, you know? No, it's, it's take courage, do not be afraid. Why? because of the I in the middle of it, because of Jesus. And that is, I mean, that's what Jesus is communicating to these guys. See, let me ask you, where do you go to get your courage? Because it was kind of a take courage thing. It's like, here's a, here's a bucket of courage, take it. And, and where do you go when you get courage? Because I know some of you are impressive. I mean, some of you are impressive, more impressive than the rest of us homo sapiens on this planet. Where do you go? You, you go to you, you know, I got this. Okay, cool, and, and that, that works for a while, and, and then it's like, well, I can make this work. And some of you are really impressive and 
can all of a sudden make work and turn um, lemons into lemonade, the old saying goes. And so where do you go when, when you need courage? You know, if some, you know, is there like a Costco that you go to that you're like, uh, uh, Costco is amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's just like the amazing story. I saw a meme online that was absolutely amazing. It said, you know when you've gone from young adulthood into adulthood, and they have a picture of a 36-year-old guy holding up a pair of jeans at Costco. Because if you're buying your jeans at Costco's, you might be an adult, okay? Because I, I went to Costco's, and they had these, like, pants, you know, the, the kind that when you walk in, you're, you're, it makes noise because of the fabric. is she, 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 back and forth. I, I was like, man, I like these. So I bought five. I have five pairs. If you see me, I even had to tell the staff, hey, if it looks like I'm wearing what I wore yesterday, well, it's not. I just have five pairs of the same thing. So, but Costco aside, where do you go to get your courage? Because there's a point when wherever you go other than Jesus, you're going to go there to get courage and, and it doesn't work. You're going to face an illness or a difficulty in life or a relationship crisis where you're going to go, oh, I got this. And it's like, oh, no, you don't got this. Your charming is not going to bring her back. Um, and uh, there, were, there were times in life when you all of a sudden find out you don't got this. I, um, my daughter, Morgan and Matt, uh, had a little baby boy, and they're, he's great. His name is uh, Parker. Uh, but Morgan's a nurse, and uh, she's always our disaster-prepared person in our family. You know, whenever a hurricane comes, she's the one that reminds us to get our batteries and all that stuff. Every family has one disaster recovery person in it. And so she would do that. But they started off having these dogs. They have a lab and a golden retriever. And these were like, wherever they went, they brought these two dogs. And they were their family. You know, they had bows and then when it was football time, one of the dogs would have a, a Green Bay Packers handkerchief on. The other one would have a Patriots handkerchief on. And it was all about the dogs. And, and Morgan would be this kind of like whenever something would happen to me, like, yeah, I'm having a problem with my colon or I'm having... She'd be like, Dad, you're always afraid. You need to... Dad, you're going to be okay. You need to knock it off. And you talk to Chris about it. It's like, come on, you're going to be okay. And Joel were really like amazing until they had their baby. I have never seen a more scared to death mama in my life. They got, uh, I mean, we were talking like two days ago. She's like, I'm gonna need all of you to be CPR certified. I'm like, what? Oh yeah. She said, and, and dad, I'm gonna need the house to have one of these. Well, apparently, and it's this device, okay? And there's, uh, Apparently, you could do the Heimlich maneuver on a little child. I mean, I, I just don't know about that, but it just apparently you can do the Heimlich on them. And she said, we're not going to do the Heimlich. Well, now they've got this, like, plunger thing, okay, that you can kind of go, you know, then, and all of a sudden, the Lego comes flying out, you know? But seriously, and it's like this thing that you, you pump up, and then it creates a negative section, and then you pull it, and then the child gasps it up and you save the child's life. She has it. She goes, I'm gonna need you to have one of these in every room, <laughs> you know? She wants one of those AFib machines, you know, around the house. And so, what's my point? My point is this. 
is that maybe most of your life you, you can pull it out. Maybe you can make it happen. Maybe, maybe you are you know, amazing enough to make certain things happen. But there will be a point where you will be in a boat and you will come to your end. And you'll be looking for courage someplace and you won't be able to find it. And Jesus will step forward and say, I'm here. Put your trust in me. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Here, it's me. This is what Paul meant in Romans 8.31 when he said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? And I think it's great. It's like, what things? He listed off a couple things, but he didn't enumerate everything that can kill you. It wasn't like the bottom, back of a, a bottle that lists all the ingredients. And he's like, well, this could kill you, this could kill you, this could kill you, this could kill you, this could ruin your marriage, this could affect you, this is how you're going to lose your money, this is what's happening to your country. He didn't list them all off. He listed enough, but he said, but what should we say to these things? Then he says, wait a minute, what then shall we say to these things? If God, if the I is in the middle of it, who can be against us? If the I am that I am is in the middle of your situation, that's what we will say to those things, is that I've got Christ, I've got Jesus. And we can face anything when we have Jesus in the middle of it. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, our focus determines whether we rise or sink, not our circumstances. See, that's, our circumstances are always going to, are going to be changing. But what determines if we're going to rise or sink in a situation is what are we focused on? And so I love Peter in this. I mean, everybody gives Peter a hard time about how Peter failed, but I'm like, he's doing something nobody has ever done before other than Jesus. And we don't know if anybody else did it. It wasn't like Peter got out of the boat and then John's like, hey, look at there. And then John gets out and they start doing the margarina on the, on the water and something like that, you know? They're all got the, you know, the chucha, cha-cha, whatever it is. Uh, Joe knows what I'm talking about. But it's, uh, no, Peter goes out there and he does this and he takes this step of faith even in difficulty. But I'll tell you what, what we learn from Peter is that whatever you're focusing on will determine if you rise or sink. So are you focusing on Jesus in your life? I know there's a lot of wind and waves, and I am telling you, they're not going away. If you're waiting for utopia to arrive, you know, uh, on this planet, it's not going to happen. If you're going to love your kids, if you're going to risk marriage, if you're going to try to thrive in this world, there will be difficulty. So what you've got to decide is what are you focusing on? And then I love Peter. Peter begins to sink, and then he says, Lord, save me. Peter's awesome. He's not like, you know, I got to go to therapy and figure out what's wrong with me. Nothing wrong with therapy, been there myself. But he's like, I'm not going to overthink this. I just need Jesus. And I'm not telling you, I don't know what's wrong with your marriage. Don't overthink it. 
Call out to Jesus. I don't know what's wrong with your body. I don't know what's wrong with your emotions. I don't, and, and maybe you're like, Peter, you don't have time to do a five-step recovery program. The point is, it's like, listen, do you have Jesus? Have you called out to God? And I love it, the way that it says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. Now, this is where I have a little bit of a beef with the video. Because in the video, Peter goes under the water, and then there's the hand in the water. Pretty cool. I get it. I mean, it was really artistic. It was awesome. It's like, and then we have Peter stretching up. That's not faith. You know, I don't have any stretch in me. I have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. It is the saving grace of God that stretches out his hand and takes a hold of us. It's not us taking a hold of him. Sure, we reciprocate, and that's our response, but I think it's amazing that if Jesus immediately, Jesus isn't like, let him stay down there for a little bit. Let him poop his pants. Yeah, let, let, him, let him just kind of like, you need to learn your lesson. And if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a part of the team, you need to, no. Jesus is like, boom. Guys, no, God doesn't want any of you to perish. I know the water is, is, is harsh. I know the winds are blowing. I know it's difficult. But please, get it out of your mind that you think God doesn't care about you. Jesus takes a hold of him. Jesus pulls him out. I will say one thing about this. And this may be a little odd, but Jesus says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Normally we take that as a rebuke. But I think it's interesting how far Peter gets with a little faith. Okay? I'm looking at this as like, dude, you walked on water with what Jesus calls a little faith? And the reason why this is important is you may be sitting here today and you think, you know, Mr. Ben has faced like three or four major storms in his life. And he just kind of like believes in the shalom of heaven, the love of God, and he is exactly right to do so. And he's encouraged a lot of us. You may be more like me and you get scared immediately. I have a little faith. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. If you got a little faith, okay. All right? I mean, it's like, so you're not like the person next to you. And I'm going to just take a side note here into marriage. Usually the composition of marriage is this. You ladies are usually more faithful than men. You ladies come to church more often than men do. You ladies tend to lead more than men do in church. It's just the way it is. I don't like it, but that's the way it is. Um, but sometimes you need to leave your husband alone. I know he may not have your faith, but you'll like go to church, and then you'll go right in the car. Did you hear what the pastor said today? And you know, and then you'll get back home and he'll open up a can of Budweiser. No, a can of um, Guinness. <laughs> he'll open up a can of Guinness and all of a sudden start watching the football game and screaming at it. 
And you're looking at them like, did we go to church today? And, uh, and or there maybe all of a sudden he lets the F word go. And uh, you're like, you know, I thought I saw you receive communion today. I can't believe you're talking like that. And then he says something like, well, Pastor Paul uses the F word. I think I can do it too. <laughs> but the point is, is don't squash faith if it's small. If your kid's showing any inklings in Jesus, don't all of a sudden put upon them a burden that the Jews couldn't carry, a legalism that nobody can carry. Don't all of a sudden put, you've gotta be amazing on their back. You know, if you've got a little faith, that's great. Jesus had a, a boat full of guys and he knew every one of them. When he sent them out into that boat, he knew every one of them had just a little bit of faith. But that was enough for them to learn something. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incidents of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. The last line of the story, as it's told by Mark, is really what I think God wants to talk to us about today. And I won't go long on this, but I think this is really where we are as a church today. Uh, and I mean this church, you as a group of people and me. It says, look what it says. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. Like, what's that got to do with the in the boat walking on the water story? Why is that connected here? Interestingly enough, every account of this moment in the boat in all the other gospels is linked to this one event before, the feeding of the 5,000. In every gospel, this story is told on this story. Matter of fact, the word immediate is used in the telling of these stories more than any time than the word immediate is used. Why? Because the, the writer and the events of the day are, were being communicated, there's no pause. That the feeding of the 5,000 has something to do with these 12 guys being in this boat at this particular moment. They're linked together. It's, it's a hyperlink. See, the disciples are supposed to pull something out of the first encounter of the feeding of the 5,000 that they were supposed to bring with them when they were in the boat that prepared them for the second encounter that they were going to have. So John's gospel gives us a little bit more detail about the information that we think that the disciples were missing. What didn't they get? You know, from the first event, because they're hyperlinked. That means you click on this, it's kind of like on your phone, you click on something and all of a sudden a couple other pages open up at the same time. Um, and that's why you can tell that, your wife can tell that you've been someplace where you haven't because all of a sudden this picture pops up and it's like, I don't know how that got here. Oh, I'll tell you exactly how it got there. It's linked to another image you opened up but you closed down. That's just another story there. But this, these two stories are hyperlinked to each other. So let's find out why they hyperlinked. So Jesus lifted up his eyes hours earlier, seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are... Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? What's he doing? He's putting them in a boat again, creating a difficulty for them, creating a, a tight space. He's actually stirring the pot. This he was saying to test them, 
for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to even receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? There we go. There's our boat. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this, truly, uh, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So what did John describe that we didn't hear as much in the other gospels? Or what detail are we given, this little detail in this story from John's gospel? And I looked at it, and it was like, okay, wait a minute. They're supposed to get something in the boat based upon this story of the feeding of the 5,000. What am I missing? And that's really maybe a question God would ask. What are you missing? What aren't you getting about the story of God, the story of Jesus? The, diff- the thing that that's not there in other places but that the disciples are missing is called the accounting of the bread. See, we are told there's a starting number of resources. We're told that there's now a feeding number, meaning a certain amount of people that have got to get fed, and then there is a leftover number. So we're given some sort of accounting about the situation and about the bread. Jesus specifically tells them, just like get into the boat, He specifically tells them to gather up the leftovers. Why? And then we hear this phrase, so that nothing will be lost. We know what what Jesus started with. We know what Jesus had to provide and how many provided for. And then we realize in the collection of the bread that how much Jesus exceeded the need in the moment. So when he tells them that nothing will be lost, gather up so that nothing will be lost, I think he's not talking about bread, though they're gathering the bread. I think he's talking, because they don't take the bread into the boat. There's no bread in the boat. Jesus isn't all of a sudden telling them to carry around a knapsack full of a bunch of bread from a previous miracle. Matter of fact, there are times when Jesus sends them out into the countryside and he says, do not take any provisions for yourself. Don't take an extra cloak, don't take any food, don't do anything. So so the idea that Jesus is now concerned about the economics of, of bread would really be a stretch, that he's really concerned about the bread going stale or the bread being wasted. No, he's like, listen, how much do we start with? This much. How many people were here? This much. Now, I want you to gather up, and I want you to see how much is gathered. How much was gathered in 12 baskets? He goes, I want you to gather up. Why? So that nothing will be lost. 
that you will not miss the meaning of what I just accomplished, that this miracle is not lost on you. That's why it's referred to because they didn't get it, because this miracle is lost on the disciples. They don't put it together. Remember, it says in the boat situation, and then when he got into the boat with them, the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incidents of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. See, they weren't supposed to be just collecting bread. Jesus was having them count and put it in baskets. You know, and, and it's like, okay, well, it, it came up with 12 baskets and, a, and maybe some other minister will tell you a great sermon about why 12, because 12 represents the lost tribes of Israel, or there was 12 disciples. And that may be right, I don't know. Um, but that meaning is never told us. So we can't learn from this because that's never said. There's enough in this story that there must be meaning into it. The fact is, this is what you had, this is what needed to be done, and this is what Jesus did. Jesus says, gather up that because you're gonna need to take it into your next moment of your life. And it's not the bread. It's the understanding that when the I is in the middle of losing courage and having no fear, that God provides for you. When you have faith and confidence in him. And every one of us are on the doorstep of our next difficulty. I know you're like, no, wait a minute. And I wish it worked this way, you know, like the lottery or something like that. Like it all reset, you know, uh, like there's this rule that we had a thousand year flood here in Charleston and that wiped out our building. And so a lot of people are like, well, we got it out of the way. It won't be another thousand years. No, that's not what that means. And we found it out the following year when we flooded again. You say, well, yeah, well, we knocked the odds off. Now it's not going to happen again. It's like, then it happened again the following year. We got 3,000 years of flood knocked out in just three years. (laughs) And I wish to say that once you've gone through and you've gotten healed, and once you've gone through this difficulty, and once you've gone through one dark night, now it's clear sailing for the rest. It's like, no, Jesus pushes them into another situation because there's something more important than clear sailing. It is discovering that Jesus is with you. He loves you. He will never let you go. We have for the last nine weeks recounted a few of the incredible miracles of Jesus. And if you've been here and if you haven't been, you can watch them online. We have them all recorded for you. Um, And if you watched them like me, I was like a blubbling fool up here, just kind of like crying every time one of the miracles was done. And because it's like, oh my goodness, my Jesus heals, my Jesus heals, my Jesus cares, my Jesus. And it was just kind of like awesome and wonderful. And I think a lot of you were, and we looked at the miracles visualized, and it was like, man, that's probably exactly what it looked like. And it just filled us with a sense of awe and inspired us. But that's not why he did it. He did it so that you could put it in a basket, so you could collect it. You could do the accounting. Why? So that you could just be awed? So you could just be amazed? No. You're going to need that in your next moment. Because life is going to shove you into a boat you don't want to be in, 
And then you better have taken something from that story into your next story. Have you gathered the meaning of who Jesus is by what Jesus has done? I mean, seriously, have you, have you, have you learned? I mean, it's been great, and, and I don't care what church you go to in this city. You go to Seacoast, amazing. Northwoods, amazing. Coastal, amazing. Um, and then there's like a gazillion Baptist churches you can go to. And you can have some pastor up there that they got fancy lights. They got really cool music. And they got, they got you know, LED walls instead of, of uh, these kinds of screens. And good for them and awesome. And that pastor's more creative. That pastor's younger. That pastor's cooler. I really don't believe that one. That pastor's made a lot of things. And it's like, and you think it's like, that's the difference. No, what the difference is, whether it comes out of the mouth of a mule Are you gathering it up into baskets? Jesus says, I don't want this being lost on you. Because you don't live in a universe or a world where there's no waves or small boats that you get into. Are you getting this? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you saying that I'll never have difficulty in marriage? I didn't say anything of the sort. You're saying that, well, if I have faith, I'll never get sick. I never said anything of the sort. Are you saying that America is going to become a great and mighty nation because it one day, a long time ago, was a Christian nation? I didn't say anything of the sort. I'm saying that if you will focus on me in the midst of your loss of courage, in the middle of your fear, I will be with you. I will take a hold of you in your difficulty. That's way better than being amazing. So, are you walking with your eyes on Jesus? We just don't pump out sermons for you to be wowed from week to week. This is all about you gathering it in. It's like, man, got it, got it. So funny, and this is my own interpretation. This is not Bible. This is my hyper uh, artistic mind. But I see them gather up into these 12 baskets, right? The bread into the 12 baskets. And then the very next story, what happens? We have 12 guys floating in a boat. If you were to take the camera and you were to have curved it around and you looked down on it, it would look like 12 pieces of bread floating in a basket. And then one of the pieces comes out of the basket and for a moment is getting lost. And Jesus gathers it up and he puts it back in the basket. Is that meaning lost on you? I mean, God loves you. He desires that none of us will perish. But we need to start taking what we're learning and begin bringing it forward like with a basket. Or the writer of the Psalm said this, I will hide his word in my heart. That's your basket. I don't read my Bible because I like old antiquated stories. This isn't Jane Austen. I bring the word of God, the bread of life into my life because I know tomorrow I may be shoved into a boat and a storm I didn't want to be in. Those who wish to live godly lives will have difficulties. And what should we say of these things, Paul says? What should we say of these things? 
He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? So are you gathering or are you just, that was a good Sunday. That was a good message. That was good. Or are you gathering it and hiding his word in your heart? Jesus loves every one of you. And I'm going to say it again. You're not amazing. You're better than that. You're loved. You're cherished. So if you've got a little faith and you do a lot of sinking and rising and sinking and rising and screaming out like a little child when life gets all topsy-turvy, Jesus sees it and he comes to you. He doesn't stand off. You need to man up. You need to be a woman. You need to be a real woman. No. No, he, he comes to us. Father, I thank you so much because you have offered us a story that is better than perfection. It's, it's so much better than me living my best life. It's me living life with Jesus in the boat. So Father, help us not to miss what you're trying to say. As Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, just before they crucified him, he looked on the city and he wept. And he said out loud as disciples heard it and wrote it down, he said of Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, I really wanted to gather you, but you would not. God wants to gather every one of our lives. Sure, you'll still be rowing. They didn't magically get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There was still rowing to happen. There was still life to be lived. But they had been gathered and the meaning had not been lost. So Father, today, as we eat the bread from the basket of grace, let your body and blood not be lost on us. Let your resurrection not be lost on us. May we gather up this moment and not miss its meaning. That if God be for us, who or what can be against us?